Hey, this is Chris Osborne, and I am back with another episode of Tiki Chris Talks. Uh, I am being hosted in the, in the home of uh, the South London home of uh, Tom Harrow. Thank you very much, Tom, for uh, having me come down this morning. And we're going to talk about his life in wine and things like that. Tom is a wine expert, is maybe the easiest way for me to put it. And now I'm going to put it to him to explain what that means. Thanks a lot, Chris. Sure. And again, thanks for coming down on this uh, crazy hot day yeah. as well. Appreciate it all the way over from Walton's Day. Um, yeah, wine expert covers a multitude of sins, really. Uh, I, I sort of think maybe, um, yeah, uh, jack of all trades, hopefully increasingly a master of a couple of them. Okay. Um, but I have a bit of a hybrid role, I suppose. I, I still enjoy the writing side of things, yes. and, and that was interesting how that all got started. Can unpack that later, maybe. Yes. Um, so, so love being able to commentate on on new wines, exciting wineries, exciting developments. As well as that, being very involved in hosting lots of wine events. You've been to one or two for sure. Yes. And always amazing events. It's well, and and, it's, and delicious too. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, it's sure, it's yeah. um, you know, you uh, you you really find wine at its best in context with other people and yes. you know, sharing the whole experience. So that's very important. And then there's the wine business side of things. Mm -hmm. So we have uh, Honest Grapes, uh, online wine business, which okay. uh, I have to say I'm very, very proud because just day before yesterday, we were voted in the independent Indie Best, best online wine merchant in the UK. Congratulations. Thank you very much. So that was, that was really a, a really exciting development and, and you know, 100% congratulations to the team who, sure. who have done all the hard Small work. team too, right? Yeah, we're about eight, eight or nine at the okay. moment. Um, but looking for more people. So, yeah, okay. absolutely. Right. Okay. And then, as well as that, I suppose my primary role personally, as well as being on the buying side to mm. put the wine uh, selections together, I also look after um, some really interesting private clients and corporate okay. clients around the world. Um, putting together their wine cellars, hosting fun wine experiences. We've got some really crazily exciting things coming up um, over the next few months. And then I do some ambassadorial work as well. So I'm currently the um, UK ambassador for the Wines of Financial Quarter. Okay. I've done quite a lot of work with various uh, champagne brands okay. as well. Mm -hmm. And yeah, as I said, it's a bit of a, well, I didn't say it, but it is. It's a bit of a smorgasbord of, of activities all around wine. Wow, okay, there's plenty to talk about there, my friend. Okay, wow, okay, so I think you maybe first mentioned writing. So I know you've done a lot of work for uh, FT's How to Spend It. Um, how did you get into writing? That's a really, I mean, it's a really fun story, actually. I was, I just started in the wine trade um, at Leon Sandman, actually. Oh, right, okay. Um, who was my, my first and only real employer, in fact, after the after a brief stint in the army. And... I got a call one day from an old university flatmate mm. of mine um, saying that... The, what were you doing there at Lee and Sandman? I had started uh, on the shop floor. Okay. I wanted to get into wine, and this opportunity had come along. Rather interestingly, a um, bit of a tangent, but an interesting one nevertheless, good friend of mine, Will Lyons, mm -hmm. um, who you probably know well, was um, working at Lee and Sandman, and um, he wanted to get more into journalism in fact. Hmm. And I was, at the time, I think, doing some work experience for the Sunday Telegraph. I come from a, a family of, of, um, of, of newspapermen. Oh, right, so yeah. um, um, Will wanted to get into journalism. 
I introduced him to my father, had a nice chat. I kind of took Will's old job <laughs> in okay. Sandeman okay. and Will kind of moved into uh, Wall Street Journal, the Scotsman first and Wall Street That's Journal. Okay. And, and then, so yeah, that was an interesting start. With regards to the wine writing, I, I, yeah, I'd been working for Lee and Sandeman for a year or so. And then I got a call from a good friend, um, as I said, old university flatmate, saying that the editor of More Intelligent Life, the uh, online magazine for The Economist, was, mm-hmm. they were looking for writers. Okay, right. So, um, I, I, you know, and she'd recommended me, which was interesting because I hadn't at the time really thought about writing, mm-hmm. but um, it seemed, you know, some, a conversation worth having. So I remember uh, chatting to Emily Bobro, uh, okay. the editor, sure. and I, I pitched her this idea for a column called, um, well, first of all, I said, look, um, Let's not talk about payment. Just send me a bottle of uh, nice Burgundy from Sherry Lehman once a month. Mm-hmm. I will read The Economist, find a story, and then write something based on a you know wine consultant. What's the time frame? When, when was this? Ah, oh, this must have been fifteen years ago. Probably, okay, I reckon. Yeah, okay. something like that, and um, possibly slightly longer, but but around about that time, and. Um, it was interesting because I said, well, what I'll do is I'll find a fun story, I'll, I'll drink this bottle of Burgundy, and then, you know, write some commentary on, on, on whatever's going on in the world from my perspective. Mm-hmm. And I said, we can call it Notes from the Bottom of the Bottle. Okay. And I honestly, I genuinely, Chris, expected her to say, well, yeah, thanks, we'll, yeah. we'll call you. Yeah, right. And actually, she said, well, that sounds quite interesting, okay. so let's oh, give it a go. Okay. And it just so happened my first column was, so this will date it properly, I suppose, was um, just at uh, the time of the collapse of Lehman Brothers. All right. So okay. um, I wrote a column on what would Dick Full drink. Would it be the <laughs> Gerard Depardieu kind of cheap flagons of Provençal right, yeah, white okay. whilst desperately digging to try and find yourself out of the mire? Or would you think, well, you know, screw it, let's, let's uncle yeah. the 45 Mouton. So, Nero yeah. fiddling while Ron Burns. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So that was my, my break into writing, um, as so often in things I've done in my life, entirely uh, coincidental and you know, mm. not planned. But, but that, that, was, that was a really good introduction. And of course, I realised that the writing, especially for such a prestigious title, gives you fantastic access to really interesting people in the sure. world of wine. At the same time as that, I also started writing a wine column for um, Urban Junkies, okay, which is still okay. going strong sure, today. Sure, sure. In fact, mm-hmm. I was with Taryn, the founder and editor, just uh, earlier this week, and that covered the other perspective. So that was the, whatever was the coolest, hottest new openings, fun new bars, right, yeah. um, fun new wines, wineries, winemakers. So, you know, that, those were the two strands of the writing which, which, which kicked things off. Well, did you find you were writing for, were you... Were you Adjusting your writing for the audience, or were you speaking the same tone for both? Because that's kind of the spectrum there. Yeah. A limited spectrum, but a spectrum. No, absolutely. And I think there's no denying that there was a a, a slightly different different style and tone. Uh, But but, but I'd like to think there was a a vein of me. It was your personality. Hopefully, yeah. Okay, well, Well, even if we can go even a little little further back, why wine in the first place? You could have been writing about, well, anything. Well, this was... This was, again, an interesting story, and um, I've I've mentioned it on on several occasions, so um, apologies if you might have heard it before, but um, I was very lucky. I had a French teacher at school, Mm -hmm. um, Madame Chantal Parsons, who was 
at the time, and I guess we're talking early 90s, one of the relatively few women Master of Wine candidates. Okay. And she had only really agreed to come teach French at my school at Millfield if mm -hmm. she could do some proper wine tasting tuition for some of her students. Okay. Oh, wow. So I, I started as an after-school activity when I was... 15, something like that, I think. Um, yeah, doing, you know, proper sort of WSET style, you know, early stage wine tasting. Wow. Yeah, you probably wouldn't get away with that. Today, yeah, right, but, yeah. Um, but the, the, the thing there, of course, was, yes, apart from the, you know, the wonderfully illicit thrill of being allowed to, to, to drink wine at school. Sure. And um, better than the, the normal rubbish that was served at prefects dinners. Um, subsequently, I think it opened up a really interesting new world mm. for me. And very specifically, it was the fact that at a time when, you know, in art classes, in music, in drama, very much being encouraged to express myself and, you know, to explore the visual sense and the aural sense, you know, the one thing that was fundamentally lacking was no one had ever encouraged me to think about what we smell and taste and to try and articulate that. Right. And they still don't in schools. I mean, given, it's crazy, given that our sense of smell, sense of taste are our most powerful senses, and yet go the least yes. well articulated when you're developing all the kind of vocabulary around it. Sure. So, so that was really fascinating. And then, of course, it was the fact that wine touched, initially at least, superficially, on a whole number of different subjects, you know, you know, from, from obviously agriculture and chemistry and, you know, history and politics yeah. and um, gastronomy, you know, it was all there for the taking. So it was, yeah, it was a fascination really and it yeah. just stuck. Well, I think, I think that's what interests me most about writing about food and wine or food and drink in general is uh, I'm trying to talk about an abstraction. You know, how do you explain what I'm what I'm tasting? How do I explain what I just smelled in that memory? And I don't know how well I do it, but I enjoy the challenge of it. Mm. Yeah. So okay, well, fantastic. And but you then turned that into uh, more than just writing about wine. Um, when did that first happen? Where you were more than just a writer? You were yeah, well, an expert, your tech guide sort of thing. I I think um, I I continued an interest in in. In wine at university, above and beyond the obvious interest in wine at university, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. you know, in that I remember um, a good friend of mine, Max, and I would once a week or once a fortnight we would pool resources and spend fifteen pounds on a bottle of Chateau Neuf de Pape, you know, which okay. as a first year student twenty years ago, that's a colossal yeah, sure, investment on on you know yeah. soft liquor. Yes. <laughs> so um, that kept up the interest, and then you know after university, I was briefly at Sandhurst. Um, pursuing my, my, my limited military aspirations. And then I was doing wine tastings whilst, okay. uh, whilst, whilst uh, in the army right. and wanted to continue that interest. Um, I think I mentioned, you know, meeting up with Will Lyons, yeah. old university friend, wanted to get into the wine trade specifically. So, you know, started at Lee and Sandeman and, and, and Patrick Sam, Sandeman, RIP, certainly my, my first mentor, you know, he gave me my break into the wine trade. And I remember him saying, interview well um you know you uh you don't seem to know anything on paper about uh, uh, about wine you know no qualifications or such but uh you know i think you'll probably learn quickly so let's sure. give it a go oh, so okay. so that was how i got into the wine trade okay and i remember that you know in the early days before 
I had the kind of confidence of my own opinions, my own sort of uh, tasting notes, etc. I, I had a very simple uh, model to follow when, when recommending wines, which I think still, well, probably holds less sway today given the, the diminishing influence of Robert Parker. But at the time, you know, in the, um, what are we looking at, late 90s, I guess, mm. early 2000s, right. my, my metric was if you had a wine which got, you know, 95 plus points from Parker and that had 18 plus points from Jancis, okay, yeah. then you had a great wine because when those two great palettes actually saw eye to eye, you just know that's going to be a great wine. Sure. And, and that, that, worked out, that worked out rather well. Okay, mm. okay, okay. Um, you mentioned confidence. Uh, I think um, maybe not as much now as in recent past. That's sort of a barrier for people to enjoy wine. They don't feel confident about what they like, mm. how to even express that to someone at the, on the retail floor. Um, how would you recommend someone go about becoming a, a wine connoisseur or just enjoying it more? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and, and confidence is key. I think you're right. Lack of confidence at all levels is what often turns people away from wine because it's seen as being elitist mm-hmm. and snobbish. Less and less so, less and less so, but there, is, there are still plenty of people who, you know, they will confess to, to lacking the confidence to sort of get it heavily involved. Um, so, I mean, I think the first answer is to be very um, clear about your own palate. Okay. That nobody, nobody should tell you what to drink. Nobody should tell you what you like and what you should like. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you like certain wines, certain tastes, certain flavours, then start with that as your as your basic point, you know, uh, that should be your guide. But then from that, listen to people who can help develop your palate. So if you like a certain, you know, style of wine, if you're starting off with kind of fairly obvious, richly oak, very fruit forward, inexpensive Barossa Shiraz, then maybe start drinking around the region and around the grape and and, and start to expand out your, your palate, you know, it's putting it in context. It doesn't mean you're going to do a, a vault fast and suddenly start drinking nothing but very lean vintage, you know, burgundy right. immediately. But at least you start, you know, you start um, adding more texture to your palate, in fact, and getting, okay. getting more confident with different tastes and flavors. So finding a good merchant, you mm-hmm. know, that you trust, understands your palate, understands your budget, importantly as well, mm-hmm. you know, is, is a great start. Finding a critic also whose tastes... Um, accord to yours as okay. well is very important. There's no point just slavishly following X critic because he's rating points like this or she's right, rating yeah. points like this. Um, find a critic who shares your taste yeah. and then you can be fairly confident in the wines they're recommending. There's a good chance you're going to enjoy them as well. Yeah, okay. So, uh, and then read. Read and most importantly, travel. You know, yeah, so that's yeah. the thing. Travel, visit wineries, try wines, meet the winemakers. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Okay. With the enjoyment comes the confidence for sure. sure. And you travel a lot uh, to wine regions and uh, been anywhere recently that was interesting? Yeah, I mean, I, I probably travel slightly less than I have done in the past, although by most people's standards, that's still a fair bit. Um, I have uh, been out in, in Bordeaux quite recently. Uh, in is that a favorite place for you? You've mentioned Bordeaux a few times. Um, Bordeaux, Bordeaux is pretty significant. Um, it's it's for a lot of people where their interest in fine wine at least begins, and for some, in fact, never never develops further. Right. I you know I, I have a I have a great interest in Bordeaux, of course. Um, 
I'd say I equally, if not more, appreciate Burgundy and the wines of Italy. Okay. I used to live out in Florence. Okay. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty ecumenical, at least in my enjoyment of European wines. Sure. I'd say I'm less familiar and have traveled less extensively in the new world. Okay. But, um, yeah, I've been out in Burgundy and Bordeaux this year. Um, I'll be out in Piedmonte in a month's time. Okay. I'll, be, I'll be back in Bordeaux with, with a particular project. And um, I'm looking forward to going to Hungary next year. All right. Going to fit that in. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, some of the smaller regions just around okay. as well. And, um, you know, I mentioned Italy. I'm a bit, always a big, big fan of Italy. So uh, I was in Sicily as well last year, which was fantastic. Yeah, great um, and, yeah, we'll see where the next journey takes me. Italy's tough, though, because I find, with my limited knowledge, I can look at a French label of, of a bottle of wine, and I have an understanding of what it should be, why it costs what it costs. Italy is, uh, I don't know, K-Casino, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you don't know what you're getting. And do you have any advice for navigating Italian wines? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really difficult one, actually. Um, Italy is a bit of a minefield, and some sort of insider knowledge is very useful. You know, and it's crazy. You can you can look up a look at a lineup of Italian wines mm-hmm. between uh, you know seven euros to seventy euros. Yes, and it's pretty hard to tell which. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I'd like to think you can tell when you taste them, yeah, but course, just course, when yeah. you're trying to make the decision of yeah. what do I buy, it's it's pretty tough. Um, you've got to get to know the producers. Okay, you've got to get to know your producers and. Once you do, then again, it's all about either traveling or trying around the mm-hmm. subject. So find the ones you like, and then if you know you like uh, such and such winemaker from this region, sure. look at the neighbors, you know, look okay. at uh, others who are being talked of in the same breath in wine articles, that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, obviously the best thing is to just uh, uncork as many bottles as you can. Okay, very good advice, I think. Um, speaking of Italian wines, uh, you, you do a lot of work with Francia Porta. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing there's still numerous people that have no idea what that is. You want to talk a little bit about it? Because there's some gorgeous sparkling wines. Yeah, no, they really are, Chris. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a great association to have, and I feel very privileged to, to be involved with such an you know, exciting region. And, and yes, it is one which has uh, a lot of people uh, a little either confused or just lacking, lacking knowledge of it at all. And it's... It's been fascinating to me getting to know the wines, the winemakers. You know, you're talking about fundamentally great quality wines. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the bench is set very, very high. Yeah. And, you know, we're looking at uh, the region in Lombardy, just um, just south of um, Lake Iseo. Okay. Um, it's not a huge region at all. There's sort of um, less than 3,000 hectares under mine mm-hmm. in total. Mm-hmm. And the key grapes here are Chardonnay, uh, which is a, you know, at least sort of 75% of the plantings. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, um, it's sparkling wine. It's made in Metodou Classico, so secondary fermentation in bottle. Uh, like long, champagne. Like for, champagne. For layman, okay. You'll notice I was trying not to mention yes. the word champagne. The C word. The C word. <laughs> Sorry. But um, it's, um, it's interesting because the yields are, are, are lower than champagne. And the um, lees aging tends to be longer. But what's really interesting, I think... Um, is the dosage in in Francia Corta is even though it has the same sort of which means it. how much sugar you yeah, put exactly. into a sparkling wine exactly okay. post disgorgement yeah. exactly um, although it has the same categories of brute extra brute mm-hmm. zero dosage um, 
they tend to be much lower in reality than, than okay. what they need to be, if that makes sense. So I think you've got naturally riper fruit, given the region, mm. and therefore it doesn't need a higher dosage to get that nice balance. So you've got these wonderfully crisp, fresh, naturally ripe fruited mm. wines, which are super, super exciting. So we're very keen to see um, Franciacorta um, sales and awareness grow in sure. the UK, and that's... Um, that's largely my remit. Has been for the last okay. year or so. Has We've it actually, it, it's it's going it's going pretty well. Yeah. I mean, I think last time I looked, um, French quarter sales were up by seventeen and a half percent in the UK, which is which is good. I mean, sure. you know, admittedly, it's starting from starting a small at base, point, but yeah. Um, but certainly, awareness is growing. Uh, we've got a lot of support from obviously the Italian uh, sommelier community in London, which is very very significant sure, yeah. and very active. And we've got our big uh, Franciacorta event on the 3rd of September, okay. uh, a whole sort of day at 67 Pall Mall. We've got wineries coming in looking for representation. We've got wineries okay. who are over here looking for more uh, on-trade, off-trade clients. Mm -hmm. And then we'll do an event for 67 Pall Mall members and other interested you know, private clients in the evening. So you know, we're, we're really trying hard to um, focus people's attention on, on the region and the great wines. Great, okay. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about Honest Grapes? Yeah. What it is and your role there? And congratulations again on the uh, was the independent award. Yes, right. yeah. Thank you. Um, so Honest Grapes, we're, we're going to be celebrating our fourth birthday uh, in September, and uh, it's been a it's been a roller coaster ride. Very exciting. That's I, I started that business with my business partner uh, Nathan Hill, mm -hmm. and we have always tried to be uh, an online offline hybrid. Okay. So, you know, recognizing that a lot more people's buying patterns are taking them onto the internet, you know, a lot more people buying online, and yet, how do you marry that with the fundamentally social nature yes. of wine? You know, as I said, you, you can't clink across a screen. So that's why, you know, we focus on the website, on our um, sommelier selection, we call it, which is mm -hmm. roughly 100 wines, which come in, come out, they're not fixed. Um, and these are wines really between about the 10 to say 40 pound bracket with a sweet spot of maybe 15 to 25. And these okay. are wines which we offer same day delivery in central London, next day delivery in the UK, um, by the bottle, by the case. Um, and next on top of that, we have what we call our, our Premier Crew Club, C-R-E-W. Okay. Brilliant, brilliant gag, obviously. And, and this is for um, members. So members will to, you know, typically put in, say, 50 to 100 pounds a month uh, on, on for their wine mm -hmm. spend. And then that gets them access to our various events at kind of, you know, preferential prices. When we have limited parcels of wines, our club offers, then they'll get the first access to that, often a slightly better price, that sort right. of thing. And, you know, that informs those club offers actually often inform a lot of our our buying strategy because I don't think we're unique in this, but it's unusual that very few wines ever make it onto our website unless they have been uh, panel tasted by a group of our regular clients okay. and club members. So every two months, every quarter, we have a club night panel tasting in which we will put forward a selection of wines which, you know, myself and the team have tried and like okay. uh, and would like to list. But they don't go on the website until we get the feedback from our kind of most loyal clients. Okay, oh, and we quite literally give them gold stars to a board and ask them to write comments. Okay. The best endorsement is if on the night they say, yeah, I love that wine, 
put it on and I'll buy a case. Next best yeah. thing is that's great, that's great, that's great. And you know, as a result of that, we will then choose whether or not to list those wines or not. So it's a great way of engaging with your, your database. It's a great way of making them feel properly involved in the process of selection. Sure. And it's also a very, I think, well, honest way, in the honest grapes way, of, of making sure we're only putting wines on the website that people want to drink. Okay, very nice. And if we could bring this all back to you as a writer, you're working on a book project at the moment, yes? Yes. Um, I've got a very fun uh, project at the moment with um, Maison Asseline, uh the wonderful publishers uh, based on Piccadilly and, sure. uh, and, um, and out in New York as well. And I've been asked to do a book with them for VistaJet, in fact, okay. where we are... Is this your first book? Uh, it is it's my not, first book. Okay. It is my first book. It's well, it's the first book I've actually agreed to do. Okay, <laughs> and I'm very excited because it's uh, some great partners to work with, yeah. and the topic, whilst yeah. it might be a, a, a an oddly rarefied one for some, is one which I've had quite a lot of experience uh, and involvement with over the years. We're looking at how altitude, air pressure. Uh, humidity in a cockpit, or rather in a cabin, mm -hmm. uh, affects your palate, and mm -hmm. how that should therefore affect your wine choices whilst flying. That's fascinating. Mm. Wow, wow. Mm. Can you share a little bit insight? Well, um, so I know being in a, in a plane really diminishes your your taste buds or whatever, I guess, and like like you want food to be saltier. Exactly, okay, yeah. So. yeah. So, so there's, there's a lot of factors involved. Um, primarily, yes, there is a certain degradation of your, your palate and, mm. and your olfactory um, systems as well. And a lot of research has been done by uh, commercial um, airlines into how that affects the food programs that they have on board. And you're absolutely right, you know, salt and sweetness are the two most affected um, uh, factors, in fact, when flying, it drops by up to 30%, your ability to sense and taste salt, saltiness and sweetness. So that obviously is why so much airline food is compensated by being much more salty. And it's right. why um, we drink more Bloody Mary in the air than we do on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but there are other factors as well. Uh, the... Um, the air pressure obviously has an effect on the humidity in the air and, and lack of humidity affects your palate quite considerably. So, um, and, and then I suppose also you've got other factors like um, noise. Um, the research done by Professor Charles Spence, yes, yes, Oxford, yes, 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 yes. I'm sure you're aware of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, has, has shown, yeah. yeah, considerably that, you know, the 85 decibels, which is the average um, uh, noise on a, on a commercial mm -hmm. airline, massively affects your ability to appreciate the food and drink you're, you're having. So these are all factors where, you know, there's, there's plenty of science involved. Um, there's also a lot of um, psychology involved. Um, there's also a lot of um, personal experience and pleasure involved that gives us enough, uh, enough interesting opportunities to really explore what wines work and what wines don't. So, um, yeah, we're going to have some fun with, a, with an interesting uh, panel um, comparing how wines taste on the ground and then at, at altitude as well. That's really neat. You got a release date? We are, yeah, it's uh, coming up uh, in time for Christmas. All right, oh, very cool. Well, please yeah. keep me posted. Uh, but until then, Tom, how can people get in touch with you, find out more about you and what you do? And well, um, absolutely, the, uh, the best thing is to go on our website on its grapes.com.co.uk. Okay. 
Dog.co.uk. Um, if you go to Comet, it'll take you to Dog.co.uk. Okay, yeah. okay, but, okay. but that's uh, that's the website. Uh, that will have our full list of wines, um, and importantly, also all our events. Mm. We have, as I mentioned, we've got our fourth. Uh, fourth anniversary, fourth birthday coming up in September. We'll be doing a nice sort of wine tasting, summer sales party uh, at a date to be specified. We'd love to have some more people there. And, you know, you can also see all the other events that we're doing and are keen to organize. That's wonderful. Well, thank you again for chatting and for uh, inviting me down to your home. Your Pleasure, Chris. Cheers. Thank you very much.